Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. story I had somebody email me and request this story her name was Carol Corchero oh, wait, that's you <gasps> oh my that's god you. that's right I did request this story I'm so excited I can't and, even contain myself in fact I think Josh had brought this up too once and so you brought it up to me and I'm really glad you did because it turned out to be a pretty good story I actually didn't know most of this stuff so when you suggested it and I started looking into it, I'm like, oh my God, there's a shit ton of stuff in here. It's great. I am doing the curse of poltergeist. Yes. Yes. For those of you who do not know about the movie poltergeist, it came out in 1982 directed by uh, Toby Hooper gets the direction credit, but I'm pretty sure both him and Steven Spielberg directed the film. And the movie is about the Freeling family, where dad, Steven Freeling, is played by Craig T. Nelson. Mom is Diane Freeling, played by Joe Beth Williams. The oldest daughter, Dana, is played by Dominique Dunn. The middle child and only son, Robbie, is played by Oliver Robbins. And finally, the baby of the family, Carol Ann, is played Carol by Ann. Heather O'Rourke. So the family lives in this nice house in the perfect California suburb. They are in the process of putting a swimming pool in the backyard when they start to notice some weird things are happening around their house. Eventually, the activity escalates and their youngest daughter, Carol Ann, is essentially kidnapped by the ghosts who live in their house. The family cannot find her, but they can hear her when the TV is on. So they end up seeking the help of a paranormal research team. The lead investigator is Dr. Lesh, played by Beatrice Strait. She is a female parapsychologist. She is accompanied by two assistants, Martin Casella, who plays Martin, and Richard Lawson, who plays Ryan. Eventually, the paranormal investigators are stumped as what to do, so they bring in my absolute favorite character of the movie, the psychic, Tangina Barons, played by Zelda Rubinstein. Yes. <laughs> he helps the family with their ghost problem, and I'm pretty sure in the process she coined the phrase, this house is clean. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> so that gives you a general setup of what to expect, and there is a reason I mentioned the names of these actors and their characters because they all kind of get looped in here. In the movie, the reason that there is a curse, or the reason they believe that the movie is cursed, is that there is a scene where the mother falls into the unfinished swimming pool. It happens to be filled with skeletons. Well, some of the <gasps> skeletons were actually real. Ooh. For, <laughs> yeah. the, for the filming, they brought in real skeletons. They had some real skeletons peppered oh. in there. As the story goes, the skeletons were from India and had been donated to a college in the States for research. Once the school was done with them, they sold them to the visual effects department of the movie. Um, the studio was cool with this because apparently the cost to create plastic skeletons was super expensive. So throwing the real thing into the film was a much cheaper option for them. <laughs> <laughs> just throw those bodies on that in there is, it's all good <laughs> that is awful i hope they didn't tell the people those were real skeletons i think it came out later i don't think it came out during filming but i think it did come out eventually well, obviously i found it on the internet so now the actors or maybe do know. maybe they wanted it to be like character enhancing like if you're really scared you're going to act better on camera some things that occurred on the set 
um, there's one scene where a toy clown is trying to strangle Robbie the Sun. And this clown was actually like a full board visual effects animatronic clown. It had pullers and levees and wires and a motor inside of it. And it was run by like a visual effects engineer on a remote mm -hmm. control. So in the scene, the clown attacks the boy and he tries to strangle him. Well, during one of the takes, the visual effects engineer running the clown lost control of the clown. And the clown was legitimately strangling the actor. And oh. Steven Spielberg was watching this and he was like, wait a minute, that kid's not that good of an actor. There's something wrong here. So he, he yelled cut and he went over and he pulled the clown off of, of the <gasps> actor Oliver. And what if he didn't do that? Would he have died? Maybe, I don't know, maybe. But could you imagine being that kid and being like, please tell me you got it. Please tell me I don't have to shoot that again. Yeah, I don't want to like, go through that. Yeah. I'm not going under the clown, yeah. no matter what. Clown, no way. I want to pay a raise right now, you motherfucker. That's what I would have <laughs> said. As an eight-year-old boy, that's what I would have said. So then another thing that happened was they hired a guy named James Kahn. He was a writer, and they hired him to translate the script into a novel so they could sell the novel Poltergeist in bookstores. Mm-hmm. One night he was working quite late and he was in Steven Spielberg's office at the MGM studios and um, he was writing and he said that it was dark outside and a little bit overcast, but the second he wrote down the sentence, lightning and thunder ripped the sky, that's exactly what happened outside. He Whoa. said all of a sudden the sky lit up with lightning, thunder no. rumbled all around them. He said all the lights in the building went out. The air conditioner flew across the room, and after what? a moment, all of the video games in the room came on and started playing. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. One, of course, the biggest stories to come out of Poltergeist was the death of Dominique Dunn. Um, she played the older sister, Dana, in the movie. After Poltergeist wrapped, she was cast in the TV series V, which was a show about space aliens. Do you remember when that came on TV? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So she was supposed to be in V. So on October 30th, 1982, the day before Halloween, she was at her house with another actor, a guy named David Packer. They were rehearsing lines for the show V when her ex-boyfriend, John Sweeney, showed up. He asked to talk to her, so Dominique stepped outside to talk to him. He was there to confront her about a letter she had written to him. He thought that they were going to get back together, but this letter made it very clear that they were not going to get back together. So uh, when she went outside, she closed the door behind her. David Packer could hear them arguing. She told Sweeney she was afraid of him and she did not want the relationship to continue. So he attacked her and started to <gasps> choke her. Everyone in the family... Yeah, everyone in the, in the neighborhood could hear what was happening, but no one came to help her. David Packer could hear it too, but he did not go out and to intervene because Sweeney was much larger than him and he was afraid to get involved. So he called a friend and he left a message that if he died tonight, it was because John Sweeney had killed him. Then he called the LAPD. They told him that it wasn't their jurisdiction and said if he was a real man, he would go out and help her. Oh. <laughs> they did like, not say that. That's what it said. That's what I read. Yeah, that you should just get your ass out there and help her. He did go outside, and by that time, Sweeney was holding her lifeless body. Uh, actually, she was still alive. Um, she was in a coma, though. They took her to the hospital where she died four days later on November 4th, 1982. She was only 19 days away from her 23rd birthday. Oh. She was buried at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery. As it turns out, 
um, Sweeney had a history of domestic violence with past relationships, but that wasn't allowed in at his trial. So the charges were knocked down from first-degree murder to voluntary manslaughter, which is what he was convicted of. He only served three and a half years in prison. What? Mm-hmm. That's it. That's What's all with I got. all these short sentences? I know, right? So he got out of prison. He got a job as a head chef at a restaurant in Santa Monica, but the Dunn family made it very clear where he was working and protested the restaurant and told its patrons who the head chef was. So he eventually left that job due to the harassment. But the scariest part of the story, Carol, is that it is said he moved to the Pacific Northwest and changed his name to John Morrow. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. So there you go. If you need anybody named John Morrow, oh. M-A-U-R-O, get the hell away as fast as you can. There was a near death of another actor from Poltergeist, a guy named Richard Lawson. Lawson played one of the um, paranormal assistants, Ryan, in Poltergeist. So in 1992, um, Lawson was traveling on an airplane from New York to Cleveland, Ohio. When he boarded the plane, the flight crew recognized him from Poltergeist and moved him from his coach seat to first class. Shortly after taking off, the plane crashed into the bay. There were 51 people aboard the plane. 27 were killed. Richard Lawson survived, but the person sitting in his coach seat did not. No, Oh, that is so... That is so lucky. In that sense, Poltergeist saved his life. But he actually had an even better Poltergeist. I mean, if you want to say this is associated with the curse, I don't think it is. He actually had a very good reason to go on living because in 2015, he married Tina Knowles, who we all know is the mother of the queen bee herself, Beyonce. Oh <laughs> yeah! So go, Richard. Go. Survived <laughs> so hey. a, a plane crash, and I got to marry Beyonce's mom. I'm rolling in the dough, rolling in it. Rolling so for him, Poltergeist uh, was his kaching wagon. Yes, yes. It kind of worked in reverse for him. It actually was better than than the opposite. So I don't know. There you go. That's a that's a sort of a different way of looking at the curse. The next one is the death of Lou Perryman. Perryman actually played one of the construction workers from the beginning of the film that was working on the swimming pool. I'm not sure which one, but he was in there somewhere. Um, in 2009, he was living in Austin, Texas, when one day he encountered a man in front of his house. The two chatted for a bit, then Perryman went inside and sat down at his computer. A few minutes later, the man he had been talking to snuck into his house and delivered 10 heavy axe blows to the back of his head. What? Yeah. Seth Christopher Tatum then took Perryman's car and fled the scene. So the whole point of him doing this was he wanted the guy's car. But uh, what I don't understand is that the guy was already inside. You could have ripped off the car and he probably wouldn't have known. I don't know, but that's what he said. He was after the car. So um, he actually, Tatum had had a history of mental health problems, drug addiction, and violence. Earlier in the day, he had tried to kill his mother's ex-boyfriend a few hours before killing Perryman. So he already had murder on his mind. And took it out on this guy who had nothing to do with anything. So it was pretty sad. The next film that came out in the franchise was Poltergeist 2. That came right. out in 1986. Um, and again, they used real skeletons in parts of the movie. <laughs> you would have thought they would have learned. You would have thought. But from the first movie. Apparently they didn't. Apparently they were like, no, everything, you know, there was a murder. There was a crazy clown killing. There was all sorts of shit. It's fine. We're fine. 
So when they shot on their first day, they shot a bunch of footage of some of these skeletons. And every day when you're in the film industry, you shoot. At the end of the day, you'll go and you'll watch what you shot that day. They're called dailies. So when they sat down to watch their dailies, there was nothing on the film. <gasps> they were totally freaked out because they're like, had no idea why nothing recorded onto the film. They were like, what? Because that is a big deal. You lose a lot of money every day. You lose a day of production. So that's a real tricky bitch when you've just shot a whole day's worth of stuff and there's nothing to show for it. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. There was one of the actors cast on the movie. His name was Will Sampson. And he was cast as a Native American shaman named Taylor. And another thing about him was that he played Chief Bromden in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, that's yeah, a little extra tidbit there. In real life, he actually was a Native American shaman. Oh, wow. So that was pretty cool. So when he found out that they were actually using real skeletons on the production, mm-hmm. he decided he wanted to do a shamanic exorcism of the sets. So one night he went to the sets after everybody left and he performed a ritual. The next day everybody came back and they all said, the cast and crew all said, wow, it feels a lot better now. So he did help kind of ease some of that spiritual tension that was on the set. Um, Samson himself, though, unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 53 um, after having a post-operative kidney failure from an operation. He had had a lot of health problems, so he passed away, and he was... um, The shaman passed away? Yeah, but this was a couple years after the movie had wrapped. I think he died in 1987, yeah. But he had a lot of... He had had a heart and lung transplant. Like, he had had a lot of heavy surgeries, so he passed away. He was buried in the Graves Creek Cemetery in Oklahoma. And so one day, as the story goes, Craig T. Nelson was driving through the area and decided he was going to stop and pay his respects to Will Sampson's grave. So he gets to the cemetery. He gets out of his car. He said that the cicada beetles were chirping, and it was so loud he could hardly hear anything. They were so loud. So he goes over to Sampson's grave, and he's standing there, and he goes, Will, it's Craig. And he goes, and every single beetle stopped. (gasps) (laughs) You said it went dead. What? Dead silent. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I mean, only to a shaman would that happen. (laughs) That that shaman controls nature. Yes. From the grave. From the grave. From the iron cloud fist. He controls fucking nature. I love that. I'm like, that's a great story. That's such a great story. Craig T. Nelson thinks that Will Sampson was, his spiritual blessings really saved the production of Poltergeist 2 from being much worse than it could have been. (laughs) Now, I did not see Craig T. Nelson tell the story. I saw all of this through other people who said Craig T. Nelson said this story, but I never found any video mm-hmm. footage of it so i'm going to go off of hearsay but that's okay because it's a great story it's and an I amazing would think story craig t nelson would probably even if it isn't true would be like yeah it's okay you can tell that story <laughs> thanks craig for your not permission permission okay so um then also in poltergeist 2 there was another actor named julian beck he played the bad guy in the movie um his name was kane he actually died of stomach cancer at the age of 60 only a few months after production had wrapped. But if you look at this guy, this actor, if you ever watch Poltergeist 2, 
he's got that wide brimmed hat he wears and he walks around mm-hmm. and he sings and he's really creepy. Yeah. That guy is 60. He looks like he's 110. Yeah. So um, you're saying that they hired a bunch of actors that were already on their way to the grave, <laughs> yeah. basically, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Did they a come at a cheap problems. price or something? <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm going to die soon, so I'm not going to need that much money for And then guys. that way they can use the skeletons for their next episode. Right. You no. Know. That's right. We'll just dip them on some acid it's and then we'll about. just use those bones for our next recycling. Production. Oh God, we're going to hell. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is horrible to say. So then moving on to Poltergeist 3. For Poltergeist 3, they had built a 5,000 gallon water tank for one of the scenes that had eight oh. inch thick glass. Oh no, no, yes. no. Yes, they did. Water. Mm -hmm. Lots of water. Lots and lots and lots of water. So one day, the special effects operator yelled for everyone to clear the set immediately. It turned out that that eight-inch thick glass was cracking. (gasps) Eight-inch thick glass was cracking. So if the tank had burst, all of that water would have destroyed the sets, and it could have killed some of the crew members. So they got everybody off the set. They, I think, got the water out of the tank, and then they never used it again for filming after that. They don't know what was causing it to crack. well they didn't say i think that they thought it was the curse <laughs> no i don't know i don't know that makes sense from a engineering sense. standpoint why it didn't work but yeah so i don't know so then um my favorite actor on the entire movie is got to be zelda rubenstein i love her she plays the psychic that comes to save the day and you know mm-hmm. i love psychic so i love the whole thing right so anyway she's in all three poltergeist films so during the shooting of poltergeist three they actually did a photo shoot because they need, I mean, I used to work in film marketing. So um, what they do is they'll shoot all the characters and then they can use it for movie posters and other marketing um, stuff, publicity, all that type of thing. They can use these images. So she was at a photo shoot for Poltergeist 3. They were taking a bunch of pictures of her. And all of a sudden she jolted forward and she goes, oh my God, it feels like something just went through me. And they were like, what? She goes, yeah, I don't, and they're like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm okay, but it was just weird. It just felt like something went through me. And they're like, okay. Well, the next day they get the contact sheet of all the photos. And there's one photo of her that has this big white mist over her. And they figured out that that was the photo taken at the time that she had kind of jolted forward. It was also the exact moment her mother passed away. <gasps> That's so scary. <laughs> But also, it's kind of touching that maybe touching. her mother was coming to say goodbye. I mean, that's orbs and mist. That's what people say ghosts look like on camera. Uh huh. So it could be. Zelda herself died in 2010 of natural causes. She didn't really die of any weird curse-like situations. But yeah, isn't that? It's kind of a fun story. There was also an engineer from the building. So in Poltergeist 3, it's shot in a big skyscraper. And there was an engineer from that building who came to watch production one day. So he sat down to watch production and he fell asleep. And when they went to wake him up, he was dead. Okay, no, this this is a cursed <laughs> freaking yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, it right. Is it's absolutely It's cursed. so cursed. It's so cursed. And of course, we haven't even gotten to the biggest death of all, which is the star of the movie, <gasps> Kevin O'Rourke. Carol Ann. Carol Ann. I can't hear you, Carol Ann. Carol Ann. She was 12 years old, and on February February 1st, 1988, she died of septic shock after a misdiagnosed X-ray provided the wrong diagnosis to her medical issue. So, she passed away. The movie wasn't finished. 
the director and the production did not want to finish the film, but the studio was like, you need to finish the movie. So they had to use a stand-in for her and they kind of, I think, had to rewrite part of the end to make it work. But the movie actually released on June 10th, 1988, four months after she died. She is also buried at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, the same cemetery Dominique Dunn is buried in. Oh, that is so sad. Isn't that sad? That makes, anytime somebody that young dies and has such a bright future, I mean, she, yeah. I thought she was a really talented actress she was great. for her age. She was great. I mean, that's she hard to carry mm-hmm. that off. And- it really is. And she, she's the heart of the movie. Like, she is so cute. She's she is just adorable. They, I had heard that they were trying to get Drew Barrymore for the role. Yes, but E.T. was being shot at the same time, at and the they same wanted time. her and E.T. instead of Poltergeist. Yes. Well, it's also very sad, too, because, I mean, it looked like it was a just a misread X-ray. And if they had figured out the X-ray correctly, she'd probably still be alive. But, yeah, it, it's horrible. And they interview her mother in this on this show on YouTube, and your heart breaks for her. Cause she's just – she's the coolest lady. I – I had the opportunity to work with Dakota Fanning and I met her mom and her mom reminded me a lot of, of um, Heather O'Rourke's mom, kind of very, not Hollywood at all, very down to earth, very grounded. Um, Their kid just happens to have a lot of talent and that's why they're here. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I asked Dakota Fanning's mom. I go, how did you guys end up in this industry? And she goes, Oh, we said Dakota to, to camp. And her counselor was like, hey, we think your daughter's a really good actress. You should take her and get her into acting. And she's like, okay. So she auditioned for some roles and she got them. And the next thing we know, we're going to Hollywood to do movies. She's like, it just kind of happened. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And so now, of course, uh, Dakota's sister, Elle Fanning, is is doing a lot of parts and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're both very talented. The talent runs in the family. Yeah. That brings us to... The Poltergeist remake, which came out in 2015, they had a director named Gil Keenan, and he also claimed that they had paranormal activity on the set. He said one of the places, um, they they actually chose a new house in a Mm -hmm. different neighborhood, and that this neighborhood butted up to this big empty field. And I've seen the remake, so I know exactly what he's talking about. There's this big empty field. And he said that whenever they put their equipment on that field, it would fail. He said that um, if they use their lights anywhere in the area to work, they would work. But if they put them in that field, they would blow out immediately. They also tried to use aerial drone footage, but the drones could not lock onto the GPS when the signal was coming from the field. So they would have to move 10 feet away from the field to launch the drones because they would not work with that field. So he's like, I have no idea what the deal was with this field, but it was a shit show to deal with. So he also said that um, he had rented a house in the area to live in during shooting. He said that that house was haunted by a female dressed in black. Uh, When he moved out, the owner of the house called him to ask if he had experienced anything weird in the house. The owner was completely freaked out by the energy in the home. Keenan believed that the spirit followed him home from the movie set and into that house. But fortunately for him, it did not follow him back to L.A. So it's interesting that a lot of these people who worked on these movies started believing in supernatural activity. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But some of uh, my favorite lines from Poltergeist have got to be some of Tangina Barron's lines. Of course, this house is clean. 
yes. classic line. Yes. Um, there's one line, uh, line she does, and it's the way she delivers it because it's so powerful, but yet kind of scary at the same time. Mm-hmm. She says, I don't know what hovers over this house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole in this world and take your daughter away from you. <laughs> I love that line. And then the other one she says is, um, now clear your minds. It knows what scares you. It has Ew. from the very beginning. <laughs> I just love that. That's good writing yeah. matched with really good acting. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then, of course, she says, now let's go get your daughter. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love it all. So anyway, that is the curse haunting of Poltergeist. Holly, you know the saying goes that diamonds are a girl's best friend. I do. I really like that saying because yeah. I like diamonds. Well, a lot. After hearing my story, Holly, and the curse of the Hope Diamond. Oh. Yeah, you might just settle for a nice glowing Apple iWatch. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, are Excellent. you one of those are you one of those people that think the Hope Diamond was on board the Titanic? I don't think I even thought the Hope Diamond was a real piece of jewelry. I thought it was made up for the movie. <laughs> don't know. So I don't many, think I ever gave it that much thought. <laughs> many people think the Hope Diamond was, you know, on board the Titanic. But I wanted to clarify something because that is a different, completely different other stone. It was actually a blue sapphire called mm-hmm. the Heart of the Ocean. It's a beautiful, it really is a gorgeous necklace in the movie. Right. And so I think people get them confused because the Hope Diamond, though, is an actual diamond that's very rare because it shines this beautiful blue and the blue sapphire from the Titanic also mm. shines blue. But what makes the Hope Diamond uh, have this element is boron and is very rare. It's, it's a type of element found deep, deep into the earth. Uh, they say this diamond came like 400 miles down into the earth, probably really? hell itself. Probably down. <laughs> came from hell itself. I think so. <laughs> oh my God. How did they find it if it was so far down there? I have no idea. Did hell that, belch it up into yeah, the that's top what of I the think. land? Is that what happened? <laughs> anyway, somehow this diamond has become an object only apparently a museum is willing to own because it brings gloom and doom to those who possess it. There are two stories as to when this diamond was first discovered. Now, one story states the diamond was stolen first off the forehead of a sacred idol of Sita, a Hindu goddess. And then because of this act of defiling the statue, the stone became cursed for anyone owning the gem. Hmm. But another version was told that the diamond was discovered in the mines of Golconda, India, by a French merchant who frequently looked at the mines for gems to sell. My theory is that this is just a cover story and this merchant guy actually never bought his gems. He would just go around stealing them. And some say that he died being ripped apart by wild dogs. But if he did, it was after he lived a very luxurious lifestyle and when he was very old because there's some conflicting, you know, reports about that. Right. There have been many misfortunes associated with this diamond and many, many deaths. Whoa, okay. Here we go. It's getting juicy. Yeah. It is said that when the stone is placed under ultraviolet light, it will then glow fiery red in the dark for many hours. So apparently, this French merchant traveled back with the diamond and sold it to King Louis XIV, 
who cut the diamond into a more pleasing shape, ending up with a 67-carat stone, and he called it the French blue. Now, the king had big-time suffering when all but one of his six children died in childhood. He also had terrible ailments with his health, including boils, fainting spells, headaches, and this one is the worst, sweating profusely. <laughs> that's just gross. That, that's just gross. You're right. Louis XIV took a mistress who obviously didn't care about that and who was painted holding the French blue diamond. She was known for openly disrespecting the queen and was said to flaunt her romantic relationship, inviting herself to courtly balls and affairs of the court. I'm thinking the queen is totally cool with this because her husband's sweaty and gross and she's probably like, yeah, I don't care. That's what I'm thinking. She's probably got a couple guys on the side, don't you think? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> she is the queen. She right? is the queen. I bet they all were, you know, because a lot of these marriages were political. So I bet they yeah, all yeah. had their own thing going on the side. But they probably did. Yeah, I agree. Continue. Sorry. It was said she wore the diamond several times in full view of nobles. And because of her adultery, the Catholic Church refused to give her communion, eventually accusing her of using aphrodisiacs, spells, and performing black masses to seduce the king. Wow. So she was a witch. Yeah. Huh. And even though the king appealed to the bishop, her reputation was so tarnished that the king had to stop seeing her and he sent her to a convent. The king, though did eventually die just four days before his 77th birthday of gangrene. Oh, God. It was said he became hated by the crowds of France. They even jeered him during the funeral procession. Mm. Wow, that's pretty That's pretty bad if you get jeered at your own funeral. That's really bad. I guess because France was in a lot of wars and they were having this great famine at the mm. time. Mm -hmm. But the blue diamond was then passed down to his great-grandson, King Louis XV. And he was also a terrible ruler, marrying a spoilt little miscreant, Marie Antoinette, who loved to wear the French blue diamond. Let them eat cake. That's right. And we all know how their lives ended up. Yep. Both under the guillotine, hated by all, and with their heads chopped off. I know. Isn't it something that she wears that necklace and her head gets chopped off right by where the necklace usually hangs out? She was wearing it definitely when they chopped it off. <laughs> oh, that's so. Bleh. It is even said that Marie Antoinette's best friend and confidant, Marie Theresa, Princess of Lombal, was known to occasionally wear the diamond and also met a terrible fate because of her loyalty to the king and queen. They dragged her out to the crowd, who was so angry they tortured her severely. They disemboweled wow. her after cutting off her head, and they stuck it on a pike and waved it in front of the prison window where Marie Antoinette was waiting for her own death sentence. Shit, just because they're friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow, yeah. I'm going to start thinking real carefully about the relationships I choose. <laughs> That's right. You never know. There was lots of looting during the French Revolution, and most of the royal collection of jewels were stolen, and it was believed the French blue diamond was lost for many years. But somehow it ended up with a Dutch jeweler, Wilhelm Falls. He recut the diamond in order to hide the identity of the gem. So the diamond was cut down into two stones, the larger one weighing 45 carats, which is the Hope Diamond. It was said the diamond cutter's son, Hendrik, stole the gem from his father, saying it cursed his father, making him miserable and ruined him financially. In order to pay off his father's debts, his son, Hendrik, sold it to a man named Francis Ballou. Hendrik was still miserable, though, after selling the diamond, so he ended up killing himself. Oh, wow. Jeez. Now, the new owner was going to sell the diamond to a gem dealer, Daniel E. Layson, 
But when he went to meet with Francis Ballou to exchange payment, Francis was found dead in an inn, having died from a high fever. Eleison ended up with the diamond, but because of the size and color, people started gossiping and suspected Eleison had the French blue and that he stole it. He was then reported to have committed suicide shortly after these rumors were made. Do you see a pattern here, Holly? Yeah, it likes to encourage people to commit suicide. That's kind of fucked up. And financial ruin. And financial ruin. And there's been a couple of beheadings and some sick people thrown in there too. Yeah. This is pretty fucked up. So now we don't know how this happened, but there was a painting made of King George IV of England showing him wearing the French blue diamond. And of course, he died only 10 years being on the throne and he also was in great debt. So this Hope Diamond was being passed around like a game of hot potato. Everyone wanted it just yeah. to sell, and it was hard to trace. So there are gaps in the story. Mm. So I think you're right. Like, you know, they, they wanted the diamond, but they didn't. They knew it was cursed. Right. The minute they got it, they, they just was like, okay, I got it. Now I want to sell it to make a profit. Yeah, yeah. That would, I would do that. I wouldn't want to hold on to that thing. No way. No way. But somehow this diamond ends up in the collection of Henry Hope, advertised for sale in his gym catalog. It was after this purchase that the diamond was renamed the Hope Diamond, after his name, of course. Oh. And they were hoping it wasn't cursed. <laughs> that was my own little side <laughs> Nice. Picture. That was nice. Good job. <laughs> but Henry Hope didn't have it for long either. He died the same year he purchased it. And mm. his son also had misfortunes, losing a foot in a hunting accident, oh, divorcing, and claiming bankruptcy, after which he sold the Hope Diamond. This diamond really gets around. Yeah. It had so many owners. Yeah. And they all, their lives all turned to shit. I know. Oh my God. Somehow it ended up being bought by a French banker who ended up after just a short time later going mad and committing suicide. Oh, another suicide. Then it was owned by a Russian prince who was in love with a stage actress, Lauren Ledoux. It was said that the very first time she wore the diamond on stage, she was shot by a man in the audience and that many people alleged it was the Russian prince himself. Hmm. But just a few weeks later, this same Russian prince, Kanatowski, was stabbed to death in Paris by Russian revolutionists. She wears the necklace, he shoots her, then he gets stabbed. What happens to the necklace? Where does it go after that? Well, it said a Greek jewel broker by the name of Simon Monseridas knew about the curse, but decided to purchase the diamond anyway just to sell it for a bigger profit. Sucker. Yeah, and on the same night, he sold the diamond to a Persian jewel merchant. His carriage drove off a cliff, <laughs> killing not only himself, but his wife and child. So how many is that now? Is it like 10 people? Like it the is. diamond, 10, everybody else, zero? Yep. Like that's pretty hefty. And this jewel merchant, hearing upon what just happened, also then quickly sold the diamond, this time to the Sultan of Turkey. But listen to this. Hmm. Within just a few short months... This diamond merchant died drowning on a French steamship in 1909. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Holly the Sultan is named Abdul the Damned. I'm not sure he had any business buying this diamond or if he was named that after he acquired the diamond. Maybe, maybe after <laughs> he got it. So if you have it, I'm just wondering, I'm going to speculate, if you have the diamond, you see this like trail of death and destruction with everybody who has owned it, would you then not sell it? Because is the curse in the selling of it or is the curse in the having of it? 
That's really interesting. Well, you might come to a different conclusion when you keep hearing how this uh, diamond traveled around. Okay. You might come to a different conclusion. Okay. But with this sultan, there was the Turkish rebellion in 1909, and it was said he was captured during it and slowly strangled to death. Hmm. Jeez. So he didn't keep the diamond very long either. <laughs> no, everybody and dies. <laughs> and just a side note, I will mention that there are several other notable diamonds worth reading about that are also cursed, but this one was just above them all. So the Koh-i-Noor, that diamond supposedly just curses noble kings, but not queens. And that is why it is part of the Queen Mother's coronation crown. And then there's the Sansi diamond, the Regent diamond, the Taylor Burton diamond, and then the Black Orloff diamond. And that is also cursed. And that that at diamond reminds me of the cursed black stoned ring of Marvolo Gaunt in which Lord Voldemort made into a second <laughs> Horcrux in the Harry Potter sixth book, The Half-Blood Prince. But even more remarkable, Holly, is yeah. the fact that age 11, Rawlings wrote her first novel and it was about seven cursed diamond rings spooky have you read Just it spooky how all this lines up no but i'm going to now <laughs> so this diamond was eventually sold to american socialite evelyn walsh mclean hmm. her husband owned the washington post and when her mother found out that she was going to buy the diamond she fought against it even making it part of the deal that the diamond received blessings by a priest oh good idea but her daughter laughed off her mother and said she didn't believe in the curse Oh, that's she wore the diamond. I know. She wore the diamond often and at social events. Sometimes even allowing her dog to run around wearing the diamond. <laughs> she let uh -huh. her dog wear it. That's yeah, that's some cute. respect. That's yeah. just like inviting the curse. I kind of like that. Yeah. You just don't. You just don't make fun of a cursed diamond, though. Like no, that. No, and if you, she really probably didn't believe in the curse. If she's gonna let her dog wear it, because if she really loved her dog, then she would not. And no. she believed in the curse. She would not have let that happen. Well, listen to this. Shortly after owning the Hope Diamond, her mother-in-law died of pneumonia. But that might have been a good thing for her. <laughs> <laughs> Worked and in her then, favor. Right. And then her nine-year-old son ran in front of a car and was killed. Oh, there we go. And then it was said she started acting with erratic behavior, spending recklessly and driving up so much debt, her husband had to sell the Washington Post. <gasps> really? Yes. And the marriage completely failed. Her husband was declared mentally insane and committed to an insane asylum. And he was never released. He died in 1941. Whoa. Are it you gets serious? worse. It gets worse. Oh, man. Her, her only daughter also died of an overdose of sleeping pills at the young age of 25. Oh, my God. And she herself, making fun of her mother-in-law, also died of pneumonia at, <laughs> at the young age of 60. Wow. So she was, you know, exactly what you said, you living life fully and right. And she didn't sell it, but her life. So if you touch it, you're fucked. Mm -hmm. Wait, what happened to her dog? Oh my God, we got to research what happened to her dog, <laughs> yeah. Holly. I if, don't know. If her dog was going to wear it around the house, then you know something bad happened to him probably too. I think they just, you know, probably didn't mention it, but I think that's very lovers important. out there. I, I think know. I think it's too important to leave yeah. out. Yeah. Because of all her debts, though, her jewelry collection was sold. 
to the diamond merchant, Harry Winston. Mm. Now, Harry did something a little different. He donated out the Hope Diamond to various charitable events and exhibits worldwide. Okay. So this went on for a couple of years, and eventually he decided to find a permanent home for the collection because he was a very smart man. He knew that he never wanted to actually own it. Own it. Do you know okay. what I mean? So he never touched it. He never had any contact with it. He just kind of loaned it got out. it. Yeah. And just didn't really just kept his distance from mm -hmm. it. That's smart. Yeah. He never used it for his own gain. Yeah. Is the key thing, I think. Okay. Okay. So, and he apparently didn't receive any curses from the diamond. And that mm. might be because he always did have it for charitable events. And when he eventually decided to find a permanent home, he decided to donate it to the Smithsonian to help it start a national jewel collection. Oh, wow. Get this. He decided to mail the diamond, though, through the post office. That struck <laughs> me as pretty amazing. Just sending it off in a brown bag with good old USPS. You know, because how much is it worth? It's got to be worth like millions of dollars. It's worth millions. Yeah. So it's, you would think that would have to be insured, that they'd have to yep. put it in a special box. Someone would have to put on a plane and fly with it someplace. With an armed guard. So he just threw in a box and said, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. It's just going right. to roll around in there. Very and trusting. That's amazing. Very interesting. But unfortunately, the mail truck driver, James uh -oh. Todd, was a uh -oh. very unlucky man. <laughs> oh, no. After he dropped the package <laughs> off to the museum, his truck crashed, crushing his leg, breaking it in many places. <laughs> then Holly... He had a second car accident, this time injuring his head severely. Oh, and just like it couldn't get more crazy, his house burned down. Oh, my God. His wife died. Oh, oh and here's your animal story. His uh -huh. dog died. Also. No, did the dog wear the diamond? No, you didn't get to wear the diamond yet. Oh, my God. That you diamond know, is fucking evil. They should write a country song about the Hope Diamond. They really need to. They also use an aerial drone for some footage, but if the drones uh, could, could, I'm sorry, they also used aerial. Uh, I love yeah. the the part where the guy rips his own face off or thinks he is. Yeah. And it's like dropping into the into the sink. Ew, it's, yes. Oh my God, I yes. love that. That's like my yes. favorite. Okay, get ready for a really boring story. I'm only happy when it rains. I'm only happy when it rains. Anyhow, somehow this diamond has become an object, only apparently a museum. Whoa, I've been practicing. Yay, good job. That was perfect. Okay, anyway, I got to start over. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and some say that he died being ripped apart by wild dogs. But if he did, it was after he lived a very luxurious lifestyle and when he was very old, because there's some conflicting, you know, reports about that. Right, right. Wow. Worth it. Like, like hell. Like hell. Okay. Like it's made in the bowels of Hades. I know a Beyonce album. Which one? Whatever one she's talking about diamonds in. <laughs> <laughs> As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey 
you guys. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.